Greetings and welcome to another episode of From John to Justin, where I look at every single Prime Minister and every single opposition leader who never became Prime Minister. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Don't forget, I have three other podcasts out there. Canadian History X, which releases every Monday, Wednesday, Saturday. Coast to Coast, which releases every single Thursday. And Canada's Great War, which releases every single Sunday. I do all of these podcasts myself. The writing, the research, everything. And I do it as my full-time job, so every dollar you give helps keep all of it going. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. Now, if there's some sound in the background, that's because it's a very windy day where I am, and I'm hoping the sound doesn't get picked up. But nonetheless, we're going to soldier on forward. The role of the conscription crisis in Canadian politics can't be understated. It would fracture the Liberal Party and many of its supporters would move over to the Conservatives or the Progressives. And that was seen in the last episode with Hugh Guthrie. And today we have another Liberal-turned-Conservative leader with Robert James Manion. Born in Pembroke, Ontario on November 19, 1881 to Mary Ann and Patrick Manion, third-generation Irish settlers in the area, who operated a farm and then a small store. For the first years of his life, his family lived in hotels, rough frame houses, and near the town bar before they could afford a better home in the community. In 1885, when he was 14, a story states that he took a tray of food prepared by his mother to a local boy who was suffering from spinal meningitis. While the boy was enjoying the food, Manian told him a spirited story about how the Fort William lacrosse team had defeated the Port Arthur lacrosse team, and from here, a love of medicine and a desire to be a doctor soon grew. As a young man, he was always noted for his skills as an athlete. He played lacrosse, was a runner, and enjoyed swimming. He would play hockey for various schools and for the Ottawa Wanderers. Once, with the Fort William lacrosse team, he helped take them to the Western Canada Hockey Finals against Winnipeg. Mania would study medicine at Queen's University, graduated in 1904, and then at the University of Edinburgh until 1906. He would move back to Fort William, which is today Thunder Bay, where his parents had lived since 1888, and from 1913 to 1914, he served on city council. In 1915, he enlisted with the Canadian Army Medical Corps, and he was sent overseas with the 21st Canadian Battalion. He was unable to get a commission, so he chose to be a stretcher-bearer, and he would remain so until his skill as a doctor and surgeon was discovered while he was on the field. At the Battle of Vimy Ridge, he would be awarded the Military Cross for heroism, and speaking of his time in the war, he would write, quote, Most men are brave, though some are braver than others. It is only a matter of degree. At the same time, it may be pointed out that only with the severest type of military discipline would it be possible to get thousands of men to climb out of trenches, where they're comparably safe, to face machine gun fire, bombs, and bayonets as they must during the mass action which is necessary for success in warfare. End quote. Returning home the same year as Vimy Ridge, he would switch his party allegiance from the Liberal Party to the Conservative Party due to his support of conscription and Sir Robert Borden's union government. He would also write A Surgeon in Arms, a short book about his experiences in France which sold well in both Canada and the United States. 
he would also be chosen as Liberal candidate for Fort William while he was still in France, and he returned home to be elected. Maclean's magazine would write of him in 1930, quote, When in 1917 he came to Ottawa as a Liberal Unionist sitting behind Rowell and Guthrie and Party and the others, he still spoke the accents of liberalism, and less than three years ago he told the House that he was unrepentant and unashamed of his youthful support. Manian was the most brilliant and certainly the most belligerent of all the young returned men who were swept into the House in the war election of 1917. Handsome, athletic, curly-haired, a creature of moods and enthusiasms, he always immediately leapt into the spotlight with a dashing propensity to tackle the doughtiest of foes." As a young man in the House of Commons, he would often clash with Laurier and Borden, as well as backbenchers if he felt passionate about an issue. Maclean's would write, quote, His tumultuous, headlong manner, coupled with an extraordinary capacity for rapidity of words, frequently got him into trouble, end quote. In his first speech in the House of Commons, he would speak of the medical benefits that could be derived from daylight saving, and his community would be the first in North America to actually implement it. While his work in the House of Commons would limit his work as a doctor, he would often help people while out campaigning or just out in his duties. The role of a surgeon and doctor would always be close to his heart, and he would write later, quote, Surgery was always the most interesting part of my work. During my years of practice, the chance came of performing operations which I had never seen undertaken by anyone else. One of these was an operation on the heart, or rather on the sac surrounding the heart, end quote. Relating his experience in helping a young boy whose heart was being squeezed by the sac, he would say, quote, The boy was given a few whiffs of an anesthetic, and I cut rapidly an inch above the rib of a heart, opened the sac and inserted a tube. The patient made an uninterrupted recovery, and later I passed him into the ranks as a soldier during the war. End quote. When the war ended, he would remain with the Conservative Party, as Hugh Guthrie did. Maney would come out to speak on several issues during the war years, including stating that he was against the awarding of titles to Canadians. He was in favour of military orders and medals, but felt that knighthoods and hereditary titles did violence to Canadian institutions. And while others would play cards or bridge during breaks at the House of Commons, Manian would often be found in the parliamentary library reading over the writings of political economists. When Sir Robert Borden retired and Arthur Meehan became Prime Minister in 1920, Manian was appointed the Minister of Soldiers' Civil Reestablishment. Unfortunately, the government soon fell in 1921 as William Lyon Mackenzie King came to power, and for most of the 20s, he would serve in the official opposition except for a very brief period in 1926 when he served as the Postmaster General when Arthur Meehan was Prime Minister again that year. During his time in opposition during the early 1920s, Manian became known for his vocal attacks in the House of Commons. Maclean's would state in 1930, quote, There was nothing of subtlety or finesse about the attack of Manian. He tore into the enemy lines with the same crashing vigour that carried him down the field in the days of his lacrosse triumphs, unconcerned with fine tactics and details, content to be right in the gross, and seeing only the goal attached. End quote. Whenever Manian was to speak, any member of Parliament not in the House of Commons would quickly get to their seat for the show. Maclean's continues, quote, what he lacked in cold logic or in crystal-clear argument he more than made up for with a passion and an enthusiasm and sometimes a fire, which, if it did not always impress, invariably stirred the house. 
the words, Manian is up, would always empty the smoking rooms, end quote. In 1927, Manian had run for the leadership of the Conservative Party, but he would finish a distant fourth with only 148 votes and 9.5%. Going into the convention, many actually had him as a main challenger to R.B. Bennett, but he would take only half the votes that were expected. Prior to the election, the Windsor Star would state, quote, His name has not been seriously considered as a first choice among the party delegates, but he has many qualifications that make him a prominent figure. He has a more or less knowledge of French, has a brilliant war record, is a great speaker, is popular, and has general qualities that go to make up a successful politician. End quote. During one speech, Manian would say, quote, Canada is just as much a part of the empire as England. Canada being British, charity should begin at home. The empire is like a chain, only as strong as its component parts. When I'm forced to choose between my land and another, I will align myself with my land, and that is the attitude of the Conservative Party. End quote. Manian's fortunes would change in 1930 when R.B. Bennett became Prime Minister. At this point, Manian was appointed as the Minister of Railways and Canals, which was a rather high-profile position only behind Minister of Justice and Minister of Finance. But it also came with great scrutiny from the public during the Great Depression. During that election, Manian would cross the country several times and was known for his speeches that helped win votes for the Conservatives in several ridings. As the Minister of Railways, he would deal with the Canadian National Railway and the Canadian Pacific Railway, both of which were feeling the effects of the Great Depression. He would pressure both of the railways to be more economical and cut costs to survive. He would also negotiate the treaty for the construction of the St. Lawrence Deep Waterways, which was ratified by Canada but rejected by the United States. This project would be the precursor to the eventual St. Lawrence Seaway of the 1950s. The Edmonton Journal would report of him, quote, Dr. Manian is merciless in attacking his political opponents, but seldom bitter. He is personally popular with all parties in the House of Commons and is quick to appreciate a joke at his own expense, end quote. In 1933, he would head the Canadian delegation to the League of Nations and the Disarmament Conference at Geneva that same year. In 1935, the R.B. Bennett government was decimated in the election and Manian would lose his riding in the process. Despite this, Manian was still seen as very popular in the party, at least according to Maclean's magazine. He would state, quote, When the Tory flag flaps feebly and the party spirits droop, it's always Manian who, flashing his sword, calls the dispirited back from flight, end quote. The article also stated there were those in the party who did not want him to lead if Bennett left, stating, quote, Yet, fighting men that he is, there are those who shake their heads about him as leader. Perhaps their fears, which are not political and which have nothing to do with Manian's abilities and character, are groundless, but they are nevertheless a reality. End quote. While Manian did not have a seat in the House of Commons, he would put his name forward in 1938 to replace R.B. Bennett as leader of the Conservative Party. As a Catholic, he had the support of the large number of Orange Order delegates from Ontario. He was also seen as more left than the other candidates, and he campaigned on providing government assistance to end unemployment. As well, he had little in the form of competition among the other delegates at the convention. Even though Bennett had resigned, many delegates did not want him to leave as leader. Bennett had planned to leave, but with the draft Bennett movement growing, he stated he was willing to continue as leader and he attempted to persuade the other leadership candidates to withdraw so he could remain as leader. 
Manian refused to do this, and one hour before voting began, Bennett stated that he would not be a candidate. When voting began, Manian was the heavy favorite to win, but even with that, he nearly lost to Murdoch McPherson, the former Attorney General of Saskatchewan. On the first ballot, Manian finished with 726 votes and 46.3% of the vote, good for first and 250 votes ahead of McPherson. On the second ballot, McPherson came back with a force picking up 11 percentage points and reducing the lead of Manian to less than 200. Fortunately for Manian, he was able to garner support from delegates and he won the leadership of the party with 830 votes and 53% of the vote. Among the delegates at the convention, it was hoped that with his Catholic background and marriage to a French-Canadian woman, he would help the party in Quebec, since the province had seen the party as anti-Catholic and anti-French. Speaking to delegates, Manian would say, quote, It is an honor too high. I know my limitations, but I am your chosen leader, and I will try with all my strength, all my modest qualities, to lead the party in a manner worthy of the great leaders who have led you in the past. End quote. King would meet with Manian after he became leader and would tell him, quote, Try not to see too many people. There is nothing more fatiguing. You must ration very carefully the number of people you see each day or you can't carry on as party leader. End quote. In a by-election in London, Ontario in 1938, Manian was able to return to the House of Commons. Many in the Conservative Party began to criticize Manian due to his move to the left and his calls for action against unemployment. At the same time, William Lyon Mackenzie King was unpopular as Prime Minister, and Manian hoped that by working with Maurice Duplessis, the Premier of Quebec, through the promise of federal funds for unemployment relief in exchange for support of the party. King, for his part, at least initially, thought very little of Manian. In his diary, he would write, quote, Manian is making a buffoon of himself. The Tory party are disgusted with him and are almost in despair, end quote. When the Second World War erupted, Manian would oddly campaign against conscription even though in 1917 it was his reason for joining the Unionist government and the subsequent Conservative Party. Even though Manian did not support conscription, the Liberals launched a campaign in Quebec that claimed Duplessis' support of Manian would lead to conscription. This would have a devastating impact on Duplessis, who would lose in the 1939 Quebec election, and with that defeat, Manian's hope of gaining Quebec were dashed. King would then tell Manian that due to the war he would not call an election, but in March of 1940 he suddenly called an election that caught the Conservatives completely by surprise. The Progressive Conservatives would campaign on the platform of a national government and forming a wartime coalition government, as was seen during the First World War. In response to this, King would state, quote, I can only conclude that Dr. Manion sees no possibility whatever of the election of a conservative government. End quote. The Liberals then began releasing pamphlets that cast doubt on a national government asking who does he represent, who are his sponsors, and who are his supporters. It would conclude with quote, Never before have the Canadian electors tolerated an unsponsored candidate for the prime ministership. Why should they do so today? End quote. In the election held on March 26, 1940, Manian's National Government Party would not lose any seats, but at the same time did not pick up any seats either. King and the Liberals would pick up six seats, forming another majority government. As for Manian, he would lose his own seat, officially ending his political career. In May, King would confide in his diary that Manian was at his end with the party, and he would write, quote, 
Maney and I here was very incensed at his treatment by the Tory party, was quite violent in his language about them. End quote. King would see Manion soon after and would write in his diary, quote, I felt no ill will towards him, but rather a feeling of sympathy. Shook hands with him and asked him to join us in the group of privy councillors, and I think he felt rather boldly. End quote. With no prospects and a limited supply of money, Manion would find a benefactor in the man who had sparred with him from across the aisle in the House of Commons. King would write in his diary, quote, This morning, Hansen came to my office to tell me that he had discovered Manion has no private means, has nothing saved, and is hard up. He wondered if the government might not give him some post in connection with the war, send him to London, give him some work in one of the offices in London or some other post. I told him I thought it was nice of him to come and speak on Manion's behalf, and that I would be quite ready to meet his wishes. End quote. It was King who would offer Manion a job as the director of the Civilian Air Raid Defense. Manion would also write his autobiography, Life is an Adventure. On July 2nd, 1943, after taking a stroll through his neighborhood, he came home and began reading in his library. He then informed his wife, Yvonne, that he was not feeling well. Within moments, he collapsed and passed away. The Ottawa Journal would write in his obituary, quote, he was more than a fighting party leader. He was a human leader who knew the struggle of the common man. From close contact with his fellow man, he knew the motivating factors underlying their actions. His generous sympathy and broad understanding endeared him to all classes. End quote. Gordon Graydon, the new leader of the Conservative Party and the man I will cover on July 2nd, would state, quote, Death struck him while he was again serving his country in World War II. Few men in Canada had a larger or more affectionate circle of friends than this tolerant, warm-hearted, and brilliant Canadian of Irish descent. End quote. In his diary, dated July 3, 1943, King would write, quote, When the morning news came over the radio, I learned that Dr. Manion had died last night. It gave me quite a pain in my heart to learn of his death. The second feeling was one of added obligation of having to prepare something for the press and also probably speak in the house on Monday. End quote. King would call Manian's son, who was a captain in the military, to give his condolences, and he would write, quote, Gave him a message to him to give to his mother. He asked me if I would be a pallbearer on Monday night, which I said I would be very happy to be. I spoke of his father having had great respect for me and his friendship as well. End quote. It was to King that Manian would reveal something few others knew. King would write in his diary, quote, I now recall related to a belief in the survival of human personality, but also to the confession of Manian's part, that he should never have left the Liberal Party, of how badly he had been treated by the Conservatives, and of how decent I have been to him at all times. End quote. No Conservative leaders would attend the funeral, but King would honour the request and be a pallbearer. Writing in Life is an Adventure, Manion would reflect on the five Prime Ministers he had known in his life. He would write, quote, Of the five Prime Ministers known by me, Sir Wilfrid Laurier was probably closer to Sir Johnny MacDonald, who is my ideal as a leader. Sir Robert Borden was the soundest. Arthur Meehan was the ablest debater the House has had in my time or perhaps any time since Confederation. R.B. Bennett was the most brilliant. And Mackenzie King was the best politician if by that term one implies skill in winning elections. End quote. I hope you enjoyed that look at Robert Manion. 
If you did, please leave a rating and review. Next week, I'll be looking at the life of Richard Hansen, the conservative leader for the first part of the Second World War. If you like, you can reach me through email at craig at canadaehx.com. You can also visit my website where you'll find hundreds of articles on Canada's history as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to canadaehx.com. And don't forget, you can support the podcast through Patreon. There are multiple tiers to choose from, all with great benefits. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month, just like all of these wonderful patrons have, and I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Randall McCallum, Diane Wade, Lorianne Kirby, Gary Dolovich, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawah, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. If you want, you can find me on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash CanadianHistoryX. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And you can find me on Instagram. Just go to Bairdo37. Information comes from Canadian Encyclopedia, 21st Battalion, Wikipedia, Dynasties and Interludes, Great War Project, Library and Archives Canada, Maclean's, The Regina Leader, The Winnipeg Tribune, The Montreal Gazette, The Edmonton Journal, The Vancouver Province, and The Ottawa Journal. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.